0: I have been searching
1: Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow Him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but
2: we're doing our best to to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve.
0: Don't you know it's all I have?
1: Welcome to podcast. Nathan.
2: Hello, how's it going? I just never know how to start these things. <laughs> me neither. Yeah, we are the, starting now. <laughs> it's hard for me because I'll jump into podcast voice when we're just talking, and then I'll, I'll, I'll realize like, oh,
1: I could have been more open and uh, un and raw. Well, you sound you sound different because the beard's gone, so it's kind of like podcast voice all the time. Maybe I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It just goes straight out of my face now. <laughs> no filter. No
2: filter. Oh no. And I'm already oh man. I'm already a wheat, so the filter is already pretty weak.
1: <laughs> you guys do have kind of a different filter, I will say. We do.
2: We have confidence. I think that's what it is. Is it like Is it good confidence? I don't know if it's I'm not gonna place a judgment. There's just on a lot it. of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if you're confident, then you can... This is what happens to 95-year-old people. Like, I don't care what you think of me. Like, I know who I am. So I'm going to... I don't care how high I wear these sweatpants. Like, I'm going to wear them where I want to wear them. And if that offends you, then that's your fault. Because I I know who I am. This is what I like. So I think it's mostly that. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. It's okay if you don't like me. I'm... I'll I'll still say the what I think or what I'm thinking, and then the second part of it is disagreeability. Is that the word? Ag- agreeability. Is it? No, agreeableness. I mean, op- yeah, agreeableness, but the opposite of that. Dis- I'll just just so, use a negative number. Yeah. Um. So, Malcolm Gladwell, revisionist history podcast has right. a whole episode about that, which is where I borrowed that from, but. We are, as a family, probably more, I think that's the word. Now I think I'm getting it wrong. Disagreeable. Disag- disagreeable than most, which means if everyone was going left, but we saw a good reason for going right, we would go right. Yeah. An agreeable person will go left if everyone else is going left, you, yeah. you know, even if they
1: maybe feel that they should go right. Yeah, I, kind of, I, th- I think I kind of developed a little bit of that in Germany, just because the German people are st- in in general. I mean, it's kind of a jokey stereotype, but it's true that they tend to be more just, just like right out there. <laughs> they are, yeah. The, I work with uh,
2: most of the people who are not Americans that I work with are Germans, and they are direct, especially in Europe.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and have I mean, that I prefer disagreeable. It. Anyway, I, I, don't, I, I don't find it disagreeable. I would rather you tell me that you have a problem with me than... Like, just letting it fester I, for 30 years.
2: <laughs> that's a superpower that um my dad has that my grandma probably had, which is like, if you're a complete stranger, but you have a thing on your tooth or like a, you know, yeah. stain on your shirt or a little piece of toilet paper on your foot, he's going to tell you, <laughs> which I think is a supreme value that I want to foster. So I recently told somebody that their uh, email signature was not work had a link in it that was they forgot to attach the link. It was just the like, click here for more. (laughs) It was just words. So they don't know who I am, but I, I interjected and helped them out.
1: You know, you're doing God's work, Nathan.
2: Exactly. All of this was a riff on that. I shaved my beard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's how we, we got here. Uh, That was fast. Um, But yes, I am doing God's work. Beard or no beard. Beard or no beard. But it's weird with no beard. It's like uh, I'm feeling all these breezes that I didn't know were there. My pillow is softer than I remember.
1: (laughs) What do you you got on tap for tonight? Uh, So a
2: couple of shout outs. I'll start with this and then uh, move to the main event. Because of a frozen frog, I uh, was drawn to the recent edition of Christianity Today. It's a long story that I'm just not going to explain. You'll have to ask me about it some other time, but okay. <laughs> um, no time for that. Moving on, um, but open opened it up. Got got the magazine today. I'm kind of a recent sub- subscriber to Christianity Today. Still a little bit nervous about it, all ecumenical and stuff. But um, yeah, <laughs> uh, opened it up to an article that I think I'd recommend just as a. a piece of meat to chew on a little bit of a challenge. Name of the article is the devils in the details of deconstruction. Okay. Um, sub subtitle, a sinful church needs reformation, not demolition. And man, mm. they're like deconstruction. We talk about it a lot. This is kind of a deconstruction podcast, or at least that's a short way to talk about it. Yeah, but it's definitely a buzzword. And so I've already s- developed an allergic reaction against people who are warning against deconstruction. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's people with a financial interest, right? In uh, yep, in preventing this kind of thing from happening, or just fear-based. So I, st- I started reading and had that reaction, like, oh man, this is someone else saying careful about this deconstruction stuff. Yeah,
1: stop! Stop asking questions.
2: Right. But the author is Tish Harrison Warren, um, who I know from a couple of really good books. One of them is The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she has a regular column in Christianity Today that's just life-giving most of the time. Mm, So I gave her a chance and definitely still had that reaction like, man, I don't know. Definitely did not agree with a lot of stuff in it, but just an interesting read And she, maybe the main point is it should, it's okay to point out the sin of a kind of human institution of the church. And so it's, you know, we kind of get stuck in a, in a discussion of, of terms and words sometimes. So anyway, that's a interesting read.
1: Yeah. Recently kind of along those lines real quick. I recently heard a podcast episode with uh, Richard Rohr in it. Okay and he was talking about how dangerous it is to try to keep people from to tell people that you shouldn't criticize the church. you shouldn't look mm-hmm. you know you shouldn't take things apart because when you do that you're you're stopping the questioning and you're stopping the doubt and you're stopping the the discovery because I mean, we're humans, there's things that need to be fixed, and saying, stop asking questions, and questioning the church is wrong. That's that's like scary cult stuff right there. Yeah, it is and it
2: it seeps down into some stuff that I think we don't realize. I I have a really close friend who grew up in the Bible Belt but completely not believing parents and was as happens in the Bible Belt and everywhere would go to a friend's house, have a sleepover and then go to church in the morning with the friend. Yeah. And he in, you know, if you come with no background and then go to Sunday school anywhere, but it's stereotypically in the Bible belt, you're going to encounter a story and, and your reaction as a kid is going to be like, what What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's his reaction was that. And the Sunday school teacher basically said like that same thing. Don't ask questions. Mm. This is not the place for that. And you know, Sunday school teachers, they're not prepared for who knows who was teaching that class. Poor, poor person, but yeah, but the fact that that's our first reaction, or or in that case, drove this guy away completely. He was like, "That's a place wow. where they do not like." It's fear that causes you to say, "Don't, don't ask those questions," because yeah. it means you don't have answers to those questions. Yeah, or you, you don't think you do. So, yeah, she, uh, so Tish uh, Harrison Warren is definitely not saying don't ask the questions, but an interesting Good. commentary on maybe this term and and what's what the church should do about it and that kind of thing. Cool. Second shout out. I've just started this, so this is a I I've been following this uh this person Bridget Eileen Rivera for a while on social media and uh she is she just writ, wrote a book. It came out on my birthday, which is why I found out about it. It's called Heavy Burdens. Mhm. And I'm just Intro and, and the first chapter in, but I would definitely encourage people to pick this up if it if it piques their interest. So heavy burdens and the, the point of the book is to talk about ways that gay Christians, LGBTQ Christians, experience harm in the church, and what should the church be doing about our kids who grow up in the church or non-Christians who are LGBTQ as a practical approach, it's not about the the merits of a biblical argument for or against anything like that, but just a practical view of what should, what is, what should the church be doing? Hmm. And basically her opinion is it should not uh, be causing the harm that maybe we're causing. So definitely an interesting, an interesting read so far that I'd
1: recommend. Cool. Yeah. I haven't been reading a whole lot lately, but um, I, I'm guessing, that if you're a listener of this podcast, you listen to podcasts, but I, I've really been enjoying, uh, kind of doing the back catalog of, um, the Bible for normal people.
2: Okay. I still haven't, uh,
1: you've recommended that
2: and multiple people have, and I haven't, I haven't done it. it. So I'm, I'm just going to do good.
1: It it's really good for with Pete, Pete ends and Jared bias. They, they tackle a lot of pretty difficult subjects sometimes, but. If you liked kind of the direction that we were going with the episode with Trevor Thompson there's a lot of good stuff on that on that feed in that in that direction okay. not, not exactly the same but um, I think Pete What's, ends is a an Old Testament guy he's an Old Testament scholar
2: it, would you say it's heavy or light or mixed it's mixed okay i got to know which which day to listen
1: to it on <laughs> Yeah, it's a, well, if, if you're trying to plan out your day, it's kind of a, kind of a crapshoot depending on what, what the topic is probably. <laughs> <laughs> he, he. There. there's a, a whole series of episodes called, um, Pete ruins Exodus for you. <laughs> like oh, <no>. part one. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>
2: All right, I added it. I have to see. I just had a friend who who asked for podcast recommendations and I didn't, I feel like it would have been boastful. I don't know, what's the word for it? I didn't recommend ours. That just seems Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> um, but a couple that I that I've really really been enjoying. So I have to see see how this stacks up.
1: Yeah, and I will say that if if any listeners have recommendations for us to listen to podcasts, I, I'll take them. Yeah, are we heavy or or light? We're kind of a a mixed bag too. Yeah, it's kind of mixed. I was telling you earlier that. One of our listeners, after the Trevor episode, he's like, I'm going to need the next five episodes to be light and breezy, please. <laughs> so. Yep, We've, we feel the same way. I think
2: I empathize with that because sometimes we will finish one and be like, all right, let's keep it light. <laughs> let's yeah. let's do an easy one this yeah. this time. Or we'll have yeah, a, a topic and we'll be like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that's for a day when it's more sunny outside and things are going well. Right. I get that. So I wanted to talk. So this is, this is, let's get down to the heavy stuff now. Uh, Enough light. (laughs) Enough breeze, just heavy all the way. We're not here to, we're here to, it's not pillows. We're weightlifting and <laughs> hard stuff. So I've been d- doing a lot of thinking, and a big thing that I was going through as we started this podcast and before that for my, like the journey that I, I'm on, was this transition that I was making. So grew up in the Church of Christ, grew up in one specific, Uh, tradition, Christian college, Christian family, very faithful church attender, used to be three times a week until the norm was lowered down to two. Then I did the same thing. But I kind of had this this idea maybe around college and before that really what was at the core of Christianity was understanding the Bible correctly so that I would believe the correct things. So my world had me in it, kind of in the middle, but I knew that it Mm -hmm. wasn't supposed to be in the middle. And it had God in it, and then it had the Word, which was kind of the link between me and God. Mm -hmm. And I knew somewhere in there, mostly because it's in the Bible, that the Spirit is there to kind of help me out with that, help me understand the Bible correctly so I can know the right things about God. And so a lot of the catalyst that I went through and what I've been working on is this when I finally realized I don't have a relationship with God at all. Yeah. But I want that really bad. I really want to know Christ. Um, I want to follow God, not just stop God on Facebook or know weird things about him, even though I've never interacted. So fast forward to now. And I've kind of added this, my world has taken a different shape, my world map, how I relate to religion and Christianity and God. And so that kind of for me at the top is God. And then there are all these ways that that are different pillars or, or paths to relate to God. So I still have a very high view of the word, and that's very important to me even though there's lots of agreement and disagreement and questions I have about what is it or what isn't the Bible. But I've added to that, uh, we've talked a lot about on the show, even the world, yep. nature and, and observation and scientific discovery and even just the things you, you learn in life, the word and the world. I'm someone who really is attracted to historical Christian thought So I add to that the church. And for me, the church is like you and neighbors who are believers, but also all Christians for all time who have been writing songs and asking questions and reading the Bible in different ways and kind of building this thing up and working on this thing together. Um, Word, world, church, and then the spirit, which Mm -hmm. is this you know maybe you could call that inspiration or the part the part of God who is working in all these other things so there's a lot of overlap so that's kind of where i am right now is i'm curious about all of these things because they're they're all kind of new to me what is it what does it mean to read i don't know church fathers or mm, um, mm-hmm. or what does the world have have to teach that i haven't been listening to that that kind of thing But as I've been working on this relationship with God, one thing that has become really clear, like maybe the most clear to me, has been a complete new perspective on the priorities that I grew up with in the Church of Christ, Hmm. the priorities that nobody ever said, this is the most important thing to me. But on accident, I learned that because it was what all the sermons were about, or it was what we focused on in the Bible. Sure. And I want. so what I wanted to talk about today is is the worldview, if you've grown up Christian and you're listening to sermons now or you're reading the Bible, you're always making a choice about what jumps out to you and you're reading with your cultural lens. That's something that's hard to get away from. But this idea that the world is kind of our enemy. Mm that we are kind of this endangered species called Christian who are in this very hostile environment. And so we have some defenses given to us like the Bible and the Holy Spirit um, and each other so that we can survive the attacks of the world. Maybe even launch our own aggressions to see if we can gain some territory but that there's this struggle between the world and between the church. Yep. And there are all the there are verses that talk about this. Don't be defiled. Don't follow the pattern of this world. Uh, in the world and not of the world. But the the more that I I listen to people who have a relationship with God, whether it's people I'm reading wherever they they were in time or people who I've met who exhibit this behavior they have a lot more of a sense of peace about this topic mm. they, they aren't filled with fear they're filled with faith or confidence and and so i i i just can't stop seeing this thing where some of these verses that we've used we we maybe accidentally did the did the wrong thing so we've both heard heard sermons recently that that had this kind of unspoken idea that ideas out there in the world are dangerous. And so you shouldn't interact with them or people out there in the world are dangerous and you shouldn't interact with them. And even more kind of embarrassing for people like us who grew up in the church of Christ, we know about not only are we suspicious of, I don't know, uh pop culture, or the world around us, but we're very suspicious even of other Christians or people who claim to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. so we, I mean, I have memories in, in my hometown of our church refusing to work with a Baptist church to help a fire or a flood effort, right? So no, we will not do good in the name of Christ with another group of Christians.
1: Yeah, I, I even got the vibe when I was a kid that, or not just a kid, but I got this vibe that there's always us and the the world was always like the general term for anybody who's not a church of Christ right. And, but it's almost like the people who are other flavors of Christian were kind of even worse than, than people who aren't Christians at all. Right. They're more dangerous because a false teacher is, is like a wolf in sheep's clothing. You can't identify them always. But a wolf, you can you can see that's a wolf, you know, because they're Muslim or who knows what. <laughs> but this guy, he he says he loves Christ. He says he's, he's a sheep. Yeah, yeah, he says he's a sheep, but he's he's really saying that women should be able to preach. You know, that's not right. You're right.
2: Yeah, and the you know when you're in it, it's it's hard to see it. Yep. And it, the sermons are not you should be afraid or we stand on a very shaky foundation.
1: Right. Right.
2: But. In between the lines, that ends up happening like, oh man, we can't, you know, our youth group can't mix with this church because they use instruments or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can't team up with this church. Even the, and I've lived in multiple towns where this is the case, even the churches of Christ, I'm sure there are towns where there are churches of Christ that get together and and can put maybe their differences aside, but where, where I've lived, the churches of Christ exist because of each other so they're they're not even looking at they're not looking at atheists or muslims or god forbid catholics or something they're looking <laughs> at each other for their identity like we don't do that or this church did this so we split off from them so this is the true one and right. that's just an infinite unending cycle that's what fundamentalism does is it says these are the fundamentals people who don't agree with this are not us but as soon as you have a big enough group, your fundamental is going to shrink even more so that you can say, well, this is the real, right? We're the real yep, ones. Yep. So from an outside view, it's really sad. But from the inside, it's very difficult to see. And we've ta- I talk about this a lot where we think that what we need is logos, logos meaning logic, words, information. We hope to appeal to ethos like saying the Bible says this or the Pope says this or the president says this. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, my personal belief is that much of our decisions go, are, are actually pathos, which is emotion, but also just your, your gut, your identity. And we grew up in this, with this Christianity that was in a battle against culture. And it's hard to imagine a Christianity that didn't exist like that, but, but our you know we're we're talking about the 70s and 80s and 90s when in the United States Christianity started to define itself as an opposition force to feminism or mm-hmm. sexual liberation of the 60s or or whatever so we we do all of this work to to be careful to not be defiled or to have the right beliefs but i don't think that that looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's hard that we, we've got, we've gotten so far without, I think, asking those questions is, does this look like Jesus? And I think we've gotten so far actually that we are actually of the world, but not in the world. Yeah. And we don't realize how of the world we are because we're not in the world. So the, the things that we care about right now are money, power, you know the the things that agitate people politically in the world are the things that agitate us as well in churches. Mm-hmm. we're just not mixing with those people we're not in it yeah and when when we were called to be transformed and not conform to the pattern of this world, I think that we got the wrong message. Mm. I think that we thought that if we have really strong defenses, if we know which movies to not see or books to not read that will protect, I don't know, our children from from being defiled by the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what happens. I, I think kids grow up and read books. Yeah. And if we don't equip them with sound logic and, and, sh- and show them what's out there, I, I think a lot of people fall away for that reason. But we also... Even if that didn't happen, our core mission is not to defend ourselves from the world. Our core mission is to be Jesus in the world, to be the active living God in the world, the, the representative of Christ. But if Christ is fighting the world, all of that energy is, is going in completely the wrong direction.
1: I got a question for you. What is the yeah. what is the definition of holy, Nathan? Separate. Yeah, separate, separate and special. Set apart. You know, separate, separate, separate.
2: But what you're missing is for a purpose. Ah, so, okay. Cuz my mom
1: <laughs> apologies to my
2: mom. My mom has some holy china where, right? <laughs> In a hutch, which is a Right. I been joking because I'm newly married like when do we get a hutch? I assume that's like, is that 10 years Still in don't have a hutch <laughs> for the stuff that you, that is holy, right? Yeah, a hutch yeah. is where you put the stuff that is so special that you actually will never use it, but yeah, that's too far, right? The church has become the fine China in the hutch that's so holy that it's just for looking at and that it's not even coming out on Thanksgiving or when the president comes (laughs) over, or whatever you're saving it for. Holy is set apart for a purpose. And we have the model for what our purpose is supposed to be. Your attitude should be, you know, that of Christ, Mm -hmm. who came to the earth and moved to a cave so that he would never have to interact with sinners or accidentally, like, smell bad or or eat the wrong food. Like, no, that's... Our model is... Is a the most holy who came down out of a birth canal. Is that the word for it? Yeah. Yeah, that's I just realized that's a weird it's term. A word for it. <laughs> <laughs> any any other suggestions for that's of, good. into yeah. a into a a manger, right? Right. And then he never stopped getting dirty after that. He mm-hmm. his first miracle it was at a party. Yeah. And his disciples were kind of ne'er do wells, and the people he he hung out with are what people would call sinners and mm-hmm. betrayers and prostitutes and uh, problematic people, <laughs> women, children. Yeah. Right. So he he was constantly getting his feet and hands dirty in life. He was a, he was accused of doing that too much on more than one occasion. And then he says his counter to that is like, what makes you pure is not what goes into you. It's what comes out of you. Mm-hmm. But you you tune into a, to a sermon on Sunday, and what you're going to hear is the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. It's going to be, don't let that impurity come into you, but we're not talking about what the experience of of someone is who is listening to Christians and what we're saying what's coming out of us right now hmm. whether it's distrust and hatred of the foreigner or or this worship of individualism that is manifested in rights worship right yep of the individual over the group or w- whatever it is um, even just that fear of don't read the don't read those books, don't talk to those people, don't listen to that uh show it's this world that's built on on fear and that's built to not let the impurity
1: in, yeah, there's so much emphasis and always has been about exactly that building a wall around yourself basically, yeah.
2: and we know like we know from Sunday school that we're supposed to evangelize and be in again, like I said, we know we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Right. But I think that that focus on identifying ourselves on one side of a cultural battle and caring about believing the correct thing. And our kids believing the correct thing has taken priority over the actual gospel mission of the church. You know, you, you tune in, to Jesus's sermons. And when he says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, what he means is don't care about how much money somebody has. That's the pattern Mm -hmm. of the world. Don't just keep to yourselves. That's the pattern of the world. And the analogies he uses are exactly what I said about like getting into the world. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And the idea is that you are like spread out. You're not the salt lick of the earth all consolidated in one spot to attract, I don't know, (laughs) people to it. It's you're out in there providing this different thing or your light. And don't just build a church building with a steeple and hide that light under it, under this cover. Yeah. Jesus is the ultimate model of incarnation. And we have this church that's trying to do the opposite.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I think the priorities aspect of it is huge because like you said, most Christians, especially if they've been going to church for a while, fundamentalist church, whatever, whatever that is, you know, the things you're supposed to do, like, you know, kind of that you get this checklist in the back of your mind. At least I do. And you know, one of those things is like, tell people about God and bring them to Christ, that kind of thing. But then you're also, you also know that you're supposed to do this other stuff like help the widows and help the the homeless and the poor and the sick and all that all that, but we we end up prioritizing the keep yourself spotless from the world from being polluted by the world. We prioritize that so high that we end up not doing some of the other stuff that in the in the quote unquote dirtier areas of life mm-hmm. because I got to keep myself clean. And one of the best examples I can think of, just off the top of my head was um my kind of missions mentor when I was at o c and after a Clyde Antoine told me this story about a guy who was a missionary to an island in this somewhere in the south pacific so the guy this guy goes to this this tribe, and all like all the women are topless all the time, and people and women who wore shirts were seen as trying to be more like Western women, like the movie stars, and they were the prostitutes. Like if you saw a woman with a shirt, she was a prostitute. Huh. Ironically, right. for from our perspective. And so the missionary went went along with, with it as a as as the culture w- was, but he uh he sent some pictures back to the his supporting congregation in, in the States. And although all the little ladies are like Oh my word! These poor people—they're living in sin because they're topless, and so they got to give this big fundraiser. They got all these T-shirts for them, shipped them off to this island, and they're like, "What are we going to do with these?" You know, they—they they, uh so they—they they put them all, they put all the shirts on, took a picture, took the shirts off, and used them as rags. <laughs> yeah, because the the people were in the states were so concerned with this not looking like the world, not being polluted by the world, and, and that they kind of missed the point a little bit. And I, I think we, we do that a lot ourselves, like getting wrapped around the axle about like about, like about language in, in movies. Like just don't go see the movie. Instead of complaining about it, just, <laughs> just don't go see it. And, and instead of talking about God, we talk about what you shouldn't be doing. I th- and I think some of those repercussions
2: of that are, I mean, I, I think about this a lot as far as raising kids because, I, I mean, I've, I've got a young kid that I'm, I know this is going to be a challenge. Um, how am I going to do this? And certain kids are going to react to the forbidden fruit part of that, right? But um, I think that we have an idea about uh, kids that you you really can protect them all the way from you know, scary things like ideas and, uh, and information. But I think what really happens is you'll just protect them from that. As long as you have control over that and no longer. Yes. And and so I think there's value in protecting kids and myself and people from all kinds of things. Um, there, you know, not everything is beneficial, but at the same time, equipping people to handle ideas and also not accidentally teaching people that the enemy are the people around us. Yeah. I grew up, it it would have been unspeakable for us to meet with some of the other churches of Christ, let alone Baptists, let alone Catholics, let alone atheists, let alone Muslims. But those people are the world. They're out there. Yeah. And I think that at the core of, of that worldview at the core of that map that, that there is an enemy out there that is made out of humans. I think at the very center of that is fear and insecurity. Mm. And so what you get is ideas that are dangerous. We've talked about how you'll dismiss science, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of engaging with it. And as you do that, what kids are learning is that, the way that they interact with the world is that it's warfare. Hmm. And that they're the dangerous very us versus them. It's us versus them. My story about my neighbor Jody who was an atheist, so I was like against him, right? And or my uh my neighbor Megan who believed in evolution. Nobody taught me this. My parents would have been horrified if they knew this, but I knew as an eight, nine and 10 year old, that they are the enemy. And Mm -hmm. that my job is to either correct them or, or, or be against them. But the opposite of danger, fear, enemies, slippery slopes, (laughs) uh, is faith. I think, I think faith is confidence that when Jesus says, I have overcome the world, that that's what he means. Or, that the ideas that I believe in are strong enough to withstand scrutiny or challenge. And also you like love does not exist when you are, when your enemy is a human being or even a human culture, Hmm. your interactions will be, will not be loving. It's, it's not possible And there's not any humility in there, but all of these things are what Jesus embodied and what, what this whole thing is supposed to be about. It's not, do not interact, don't listen, don't read. It's, you should be very different when you interact and when you listen and when you read and when you go places, you should be the salt, you should be the light, but you shouldn't be afraid. Um, You have no reason to be afraid. I think you know that you're in a church like this if you don't interact with other Christians or you don't even know other Christians or know, like what, what does my neighbor who's a who's a, a Baptist or a Catholic or an Anglican like what do they have in common with me or what are their their goals and missions? And that hmm. happens because someone somewhere along the lines was afraid of you talking to those people.
1: Yeah, We're Christians. So. Couple things. Um this makes me think of the are you you familiar with the how the Amish do this thing when they're sixteen years old? Schadenberger. Rumspringer. Thank you. Schadenfrade. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. It was I think I, that was it. I'm gonna have to bleep that one out, you know that, right? <laughs> oh no. Right. kidding. <laughs> Shiza. Uh, uh wait. Rumspringer. that's, <laughs> well, that, that's a bad one. <laughs> uh Rumspringer. Um it, it when they hit si- roughly sixteen. They they get a I forget the whole all the details but you know, I'll link in the show notes right. Um, roughly they they go out and they have about a year they like they give them some money and say go out into the world and you know sow your wild oats or whatever. And it's to show it the the idea is to show them how horrible the world is, and how kind of like a scared straight program. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah, And some some kids like this, this is way better than living on a farm with no electricity. I'm doing this for the rest of my life. And the, the community is like, good, we, that's, that's where you need to be. We don't want you here, sort of. And it's, uh, there's more to it, but I just think that's an interesting way to go at it. Like you were talking about like, how do you handle your, how, your son? And I'm in, I'm right in the, the heat of that right now. My son's 14. Mm-hmm. And my daughter's nineteen, and so she's kind of, she's she's gone, she's lost it. Yeah, <laughs> no, she's 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 a fantastic kid, though.
2: She liked those electric lights in the city and the
1: right, yeah. <laughs> colorful clothing. But like, my son is fourteen, and he's he's, you know, going through things fourteen year olds go through, but in a world so much different than when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so it's this balance between. Letting him watch an R rated movie once in a while, if it's like the, if it's an okay one, or you know, and trying to like expose him to things slowly to, re- to to get him to realize that there's part of being in the world and but but still being a light, and that sometimes it's a hard balance. But you know, often when we, I I try to and any I drop off the kids for for school, uh, when they're getting out of the car, I just try to say be a light and they know what that means. Just be a light in the darkness because no matter how dark the darkness gets, you turn on the light and the darkness is gone. And so it, it's a really difficult thing. And when it gets to churches, there, there's like another, it's kind of a, it's kind of the same thing in a different thing because with churches, there's a built in kind of requirement or desire or need even if it's unspoken, to be the the only church, most of the time, and so it's this.
2: You mean be the like, be the most correct one,
1: or be, well, be the most correct one, or or be the one that most people go to. Like, we want the we want people to come into the town and go. I want to go to a church, and they want, you know, the church wants them to be the only one the only choice, the only real choice. Yeah. Okay. So if you want, if you want your church to be the only real choice, the uh, the only tenable choice, it's going to encourage you to ramp up the, the separation between you and others. Now, if you're in a church that's like kind of ec- ecumenical and accepting of other, other churches and things like that, that's not really a, a problem. But if you're all about being the one, the only one, you're going to do all kinds of things to separate yourself. And like you said, to the point where these people need help, but I'm not going to help the Baptists because whatever reason. And therefore these people don't get the good help or, or the two churches, you know, work at odds with each other because maybe the Baptist church is giving them all water and they need food, but the other church, the church of Christ comes along with water. It's like, no, they need food, not water. They got water. Yeah. And you know, that kind of thing. And so it, it it's this desire that we have as humans to be separate and apart and to be different and to have this other us versus them thing is so strong. And I really wish that I mean that's one thing that I'm loving so much about just pull not even plugging into a church, but just pulling away from the The fundamentalist notions that I grew up with is just this freedom to say, you know, Holy cow, there, there are other Christians out there <laughs> and we can work together and I'm not so alone. It's not this scary thing.
2: Yeah. The, the same thing that, that I've been going through is, is that pulling away and seeing my beliefs from the outside or seeing that system from the outside. And Certainly a root of it is you only go to heaven if you believe the correct things. If you believe the slightly wrong thing, then it's eternal damnation for you. Mm-hmm. Makes you want to be very cautious and careful and then not mix with the other Christians, then not the neighbors and, and et cetera. It's about being correct, which again is not the model of Jesus, but, but I think it turns into it starts there at this desire to be the only one or the best one or the correct one or the believe the correct things or even do the correct things to get to heaven That's, that causes you to build these walls. But once the walls are built and they've been there for a generation or two or three, what happens now is that you're not even fighting a real enemy outside. Mm-hmm. What, what the fear of is now is just a complete void of the unknown. Mm. It's like the, I didn't even see this, see this movie. M night Shyamalan, Shyamalan, the village. Yeah. Right. I, again, I, I worked in theaters when it happened. So I think I know what it's about, but I've never seen it from start to finish. And he's, he's the kind of guy who you kind of have to see it chronologically, but it's a, it's, it's a village built with no knowledge that, that the world is around them and so it's fear i think it's fear that keeps them in yeah. and you know i think if you're i think both of us have experienced somewhat what it's like to be there we don't know why those walls were there but we know they're important not to cross uh so much so that it may be have to do with like heaven and hell stuff issues and so what we start to do is imagine a really scary world out there and we want to defend our kids against it. So the what we preach about is watch out out there. Mm-hmm. And so what we're left with are the kind of people who are going to walk by the side of the road, and and give as much clearance to whoever's laying their bloody as possible, so that we don't get dirty. Mm-hmm. And what we don't have is this example of a God who didn't stay holy did everything in his power to, to come among us and then kept doing that. Even though he was in the unacceptable places or talking to the people he shouldn't be talking to. And then he's, his priorities were not about keeping that purity or not letting your ideas be challenged. Mm -hmm. They were to, to have your eyes wide open. Don't, Don't shut your eyes so you don't see what's out there. Pay attention, starting with yourself. See if there's planks in your eye because that's where you're going to find them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that should be okay to, as your group or your individual to look at your problems and talk about your problems and acknowledge your problems and work on your problems. But then take that out so that you can see the world because the world is going to fall into this pattern of the love of money and worship of money or the love of war and worship of war or the love of power and worship of power. And you should not conform to that pattern. Yeah. And the world is going to tell you that, or even religion is going to tell you that you need to not taste and not touch and not handle, but that's not the command that we were given. That's not the the example we were given. Yeah. And then to not fear. And if I know this from youth group and also from a quick Google, but do not be afraid or fear not or do not fear is scattered throughout the Bible. Oh, yeah. Um, Lots of times. And we are told, like, we we have already won this battle. We believe in, in truth that doesn't change. And so we have nothing to be afraid of. And so that confidence means, like, Jatani's example of the trapeze artist: We can fly through the air and know that that we're going to be caught. We can let go of that world that we're building of us versus them, or we can even see the patterns of of culture wars that are hap- that happen around us, and not we don't have to subscribe to that.
1: Yeah, but we so many Christians end up dealing in fear, and you know, that's one thing that I. Never really sat down and thought about until, honestly, until Trump came along and things started ratcheting up in in the U.S. Just politically, with the difference in the divide that's just gotten worse and worse and worse, and seems to just be getting worse. I never really thought through how powerful a motivator fear was. I mean, the the GOP se- seems to be like their currency is fear. Anything comes along, you got to be afraid of it. people that want in the country be afraid of them. Somebody who wants to have killed kids not killed at school, be afraid of them they're going to take your guns all all these things it's just fear, 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 fear. yep so many of these people claim to follow Christ, and like you said, we've won the war you know where where is the lack of fear, and why is there so much of it and it's it's Almost, I mean, from being someone from the outside who's not not in that bathing in fear world, I I, I kind of don't know what to do, because I have this feeling like I, I'm not afraid of my rights getting taken away because you know I'm, I'm living for something else, but my neighbor, quite literally, is afraid of their rights getting taken away, and so like stockpile guns and stockpile gold bars and canned food or who knows what. And they're just driven by that. And then it gets into all these conspiracy theory stuff because you're afraid and then you think this is going to fix things and on and on and on. And this, it's, not, it's not, I mean, I'm using politics as an example here, but it's it's also it's the same problem is there with churches that are so afraid of the outside world that they would prefer to huddle together and, and kind of like... Don't open the windows. They might know that we're in here. Like, <laughs> get that vibe. Yeah. So I mean, so what? Do, I mean, what do we do?
2: Well, the I, we know the foundation that like we were told. Do not be afraid. We were told Christ has overcome. We were mm-hmm. told that faith is the opposite of shrinking back. Right. We're, we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Or what? We're uh, we're more than conquerors because there's nothing that can separate us from this. Mm-hmm nothing out there that's going to separate us from the, from what we have the love of Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. So then the next step I think is to take that confidence and then do it's not the next step. The first step is to do what Jesus did. That's our entire mission. Yeah. And that, that starts with spending time with other people. And, and it could be, depending on where you are, it could be with fundamentalist Christians are the other people you need to spend time with to understand because they're not our enemies either or, or whoever those people are. But Christians should have the complete confidence to spend time with other Christians, but also to break through all these patterns that our world has where we don't... Something that I love about churches is, is that a lot of churches, you'll find a multi-generational group of people That's one barrier we've broken through successfully in a lot of churches, I believe Mm -hmm. That, that doesn't happen everywhere for sure, but that's a box we've broken through. So now let's break through socioeconomic boxes and hang out with people who don't live in our town or our neighborhood or dress like us or drive cars like us. And then let's, let's break through the race box and, and realize when we have racial division in our towns or counties or states, you know, we have that here where our the makeup of our town racially is not the same as the makeup of our church. So let's spend time with those people. And then, then maybe we won't be so scared to break through the belief box where just like Jesus, we can spend time not only with people who believe slightly different than us, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, or the or the people who have more or less mature faith than us. But we can also hang out with Samaritans who explicitly believe a different thing than us, or uh, Gentiles who completely disbelieve or don't believe at all the things that we believe in. Like Jesus was doing that. He was spending time, and it was God spending time with us, but we see it in Jesus spending time in his community. And then... He loved those people you you can't get to the to the core of that that command or that gospel without like actually being around them and not thinking they're the enemy but he he came spending time then he loved people and then he served people, even those bad people that we're talking about and then he went so far in lowering himself being among those people loving them. Uh, and raising people above him that he went so far uh, to be willing to die for them. And then he taught us to give to people who take from you to go the extra mile when the government mandates that you, you, you go one to uh, forgive as many times as you are requested to have mercy, to not judge, to love people, to be careful about not just giving so you look good or, it's all there how to interact with with the world and what it is not is that the world is our enemy and that we need to be careful
1: but when your entire foundation is believing the right thing and how that that is everything then you're i'm afraid that you're not going to have the courage to spend time with those people because and I think that kinda of goes back to what I was saying earlier about how I always felt that other churches were more dangerous than atheists, for example. Mm-hmm. Because if I spend time with somebody who's not who doesn't agree with all of my belief beliefs, then I might have my beliefs changed. And that's scary. Yeah. Cause if you're anchoring everything on those beliefs, You're not going to want to even entertain doubt. And that's, I think that's exactly what I ran into with my family, to be brutally honest, when I, when we started this podcast, I said, Hey family, here's a link to this podcast. I'm starting, it's going to be really cool. You know, here, you're going to find out what I really think about some stuff. And the immediate response from everybody in my family was not going to listen to it. I'm like, what? (laughs) <laughs> don't don't you, don't you don't want to know what I think? <laughs> and they're like, I kind of don't.
2: I'd rather not.
1: Yeah, I'd rather not because, for one, they're they're afraid for for me. Once again, fear. I think they're also afraid for themselves because they might learn something that, like like the thing with Trevor, the episode with Trevor. People, some people yeah. are not going to want to listen to that episode because they are afraid that if they learn something. About the Bible's origins, different than they thought, then that's going to everything crumbles around that, and that's scary. So, I I think you're right about spending time with people to first to like engender that compassion and, and empathy for them. But I'm not sure that that's likely to happen unless you try to pull back from this idea that we are. That belief is the only thing that matters. Yeah. I have a lot of
2: empathy for people who have that reaction. Yeah. It feels like someone's asking you to jump out of a plane without a parachute.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because you've never gotten anywhere close to that amount of freedom or whatever. And that happens from growing up in the, in this system that has kept building the walls or maybe doesn't even know why the walls are there, but kept reinforcing them. I think the first responsibility is for church leaders, like shepherds or pastors or preachers or or leaders in churches should be thinking about this and looking at the gospel. And if following the gospel is a risk to, to that wall that you've been building and that it might make it topple, then you need to start, taking some of those bricks out of your walls, Mm -hmm. just asking people to jump through them is going to be traumatic. It's like training a tomato and then taking away the uh, trellis that they've been growing on. They're going to collapse because they never, they never built that foundation that's strong enough to stand without that support. But ultimately I think adults who are in that stage, they were fed milk their their entire lives and they have never Mm -hmm. learned to be able to handle meat. And that's a yeah. crazy thing to say about your mom because I, that's not true. I know that's not true. Uh, she she can handle the meatiest of meat in the narrowest of Well, that's, a, that's if you
1: – yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. But, I mean, that's kind of if you – to carry the analogy probably way too far. It's like the kind of meat you're talking about because do you consider doubts and asking really hard and possibly really con- uh, controversial questions? Is that, is that meat or is – like the way I was brought up like the more you know about the bible that's the more meat yeah you know once back back again to the knowing and the believing um
2: yeah and I I I feel I think I have a sense of betrayal because um I think that I was accidentally taught maybe by elders that who I respected that what meat is is just understanding the bible more correctly but when Paul talks about meat, he's not talking about that because the understanding, the stuff, the most correct is what he actually calls milk. Mm-hmm. Cause he's talking about the correct understanding of what, you know, what does it mean to, I don't know, eat, uh, eat meat sacrificed to an idol. The meat that he's talking about is having the wisdom to know that it's more than just the right and wrong beliefs and to move past that towards, uh, becoming the kind of people who move from from the legalism of of beliefs and right and wrong to relationship with Christ which should move you to action in your community which is a continuous process that leads you to have less and less fear right so mm-hmm. a christian who grapples with meat is going to be able to see when somebody is reacting out of fear and help guide them out of that but the, these terms aren't going to help anyone who's who's stuck in in that to just call them. You know, I feel like I'm calling them names that they're um, stuck in milk Christianity, but we're missing we're missing the gospel. So, the yeah, when you make everything equally pr- a priority and you try to get everything a hundred percent right, you're going to fail the test of Christianity because God crashes into that and says, "No, I actually care." which things you get right. And do you know what? I'd rather you get some things wrong. If it meant that you focused on what my priorities are and the answer to what my priorities are is Christ, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So pay attention. Who does Jesus see? Who does Jesus talk to? Where does he go? What is he afraid of? And how are you like that? And not like that as a community and as a person,
1: yeah I feel like I was raised with the spirit of the Old Testament God quote unquote uh, it's the same God, but you know what I mean with the spirit of the Old Testament in the world of the New Testament meaning in the Old Testament it was very I mean life and death if you like you touch the ark, even though you're trying to just steady it you're you're dead and if you do the sacrifice the wrong way you're you're dead. Or if you lie to your parents, you're dead. I mean, high stakes for for holding the law exactly right. And so that vibe and that spirit was part of my life growing up and part of church. As far as that's how you have to approach God. Because God wants you to do it just the right way. The whole Jesus Project is saying,
2: I know that that's how you read those verses. You missed the whole point. Here's some verses that are there. Not, (laughs) not I'm giving you a new thing. Hey, let's go back and look at, at those verses. What was God trying to do here? And so that's, you know, why he says he's here to fulfill the law. And he, he points back and says, this is the kind of God. This is what, who, who is doing this. This is what it means. And it's, it's the opposite of what you've made it. And we, we, put it all back in the box and made it back into the old thing, back into the.
1: Right. Um, so e- even though the old Testament is full of people trying to follow God's laws precisely. Yeah. Jesus came along and there are multiple times when he was like the, the Sabbath stuff is, is a great example. He was constantly breaking the Sabbath because a guy would need it healed or people were hungry. And right. So Jesus came along and he, he, he got it. He understood how it was supposed to go. He understood that people in, in need were more important than some law about not picking grain on, on the Sabbath or something. And I, I feel like I was, I was raised in a world that didn't get that part of the story. Because Jesus never once said, you know, blessed are you who follow all the laws just perfectly you know he, he love God and love people and you know I've I've always been told love God equals doing all the stuff the right way right but that completely ignores the the salvation the grace the caring for people and acknowledging to be honest it's just it's straight up acknowledging the fact that Jesus was constantly doing stuff again quote unquote again I keep saying quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> He kept doing stuff against the law, against the, the law and the prophets for the right reasons.
2: Yeah, it was against the those boxes that the religious people had formed and were teaching to other people the burdens that they were putting on people. And so he, when he says, when he, God crashes in, the people who get the most upset are the religious people and we are the most like them in church. So it's important for us to listen to what God is telling them and mm-hmm. what they're doing and what, what Jesus just can't stand about that. And so he, he, he talks about those laws, but when he says, he says, woe to you and talks about not the culture war that's happening in Rome. Cause woe to you who, I don't know, are Romans were doing horrible cultural things. Woe to you who worship the emperor. Woe to you who, you know, delight in violence against other slaves and and who uphold this system. His woes were specifically for the people who were the God insiders, but who who took the focus off of God's priorities and onto following the the law exactly right and then adding on to that. And so when he says, Blessed are you, the kind of community he calls us to be are the poor and poor in spirit and people who grieve and people who have uh, this desire for righteousness to happen when they see it not happening and to be merciful and uh, to be peacemakers and pure in heart and somehow in all of that what we focused on is blessed are you who are persecuted, you know, and, and we kind of delight <laughs> if if the world doesn't like us for not liking them. Yeah. But if we lose the purpose to be the salt and light of the earth, the purpose is to, is to love others, even our enemies. The purpose is to put others above ourselves and to serve. We're just holy and set apart in the China hutch. We have completely lost connection to the purpose. And so we are salt who has lost its saltiness. Yeah. And just like what I think should happen to those dishes in the China hutch, you should throw them out and stomp on them. <laughs> that, that's the reaction. You, you,
1: need a, you need a good Greek wedding. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, that, that'd be uh, cathartic. God's reaction to the church who separates itself to be as correct as possible is, I have no use for you. I'm going to throw you out. I will spit you out of my mouth. I will stomp you. You're not salt, you're dirt now. Because you're not yeah. out there providing the flavor.
1: Well, I keep coming back in my mind to James one twenty seven. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. First, to look after orphans and widows in the distress. And then to keep oneself from being polluted by the world we have those opposite and we think that those are connected that if i'm if i want to avoid being polluted i've got to avoid the orphans and the widows and the homeless and the drug addicts and etc but it's not pure if you don't do the first part if you're not helping the people who need help
2: polluted is the way of the world is to not care about orphans and widows. Exactly. It's a dichotomy setting up. And the next verse, there's a chapter, but who cares? The the next verse is, (laughs) and don't be polluted in the way that the world will pollute you and care about power and money and prestige. Mm -hmm. What we turn that into is don't believe the incorrect thing, but we have churches out there that believe all the... "Quote unquote," correct things, but that they are completely polluted by the world. They have sexual abuse scandals that they're covering up. Uh, they have they care about money. They care about you know they're capitalist to the core, or individualist, or they you know care more about protecting their right to to bear a gun than they do uh, the homeless people outside yeah. or whatever it is that is being polluted by the world. It's who you are and what you care about and what your priorities are and what idols you worship are the same as the people around you. Mm-hmm.
1: Just slapping a Jesus sticker on something nasty doesn't make it good. Yeah, it didn't in Jesus' time, mm-hmm.
2: and it, it doesn't now. The The pattern of Jesus is so in complete opposition to fear and to a war against the world, it, it couldn't be starker.
1: I think that all the way back to the beginning of the, the episode, you're talking about that article about deconstruction. I think that's at the core of a lot of the reason so many people are going through this right now. Is that they're they're seeing the church, and it's just becoming more and more obvious. They're seeing the church, and by church, I mean all. Christians in, in in America really, of all flavors. They're seeing the church being so much like the the worst people that we can imagine, like in very literally in a very literal way, so much like them, and nothing like Jesus, and nothing like Jesus. And we, you
2: can you can be an adult like me or you and read the gospel and be surprised. Yeah. We went to Christian colleges. We grew up with Christian uh, families and strong, what I thought, biblical knowledge. But all open up the gospel and be like, what? Yeah. This is Jesus? I want to be like that. I want to know that guy. I want to be like that. I want my life to look like that. And then what you get is someone saying like, why isn't, why doesn't
1: my church look like that? Yeah. Which leads people to start picking things apart. And then they start thinking, well, if my church doesn't look like this, then is there any validity to anything? Yeah. And a lot of people leaving.
2: Or the, the more I want to be like this Jesus person and fail at, you know, stumble at it. And, but the more people are angry at me in my church, right. For saying the the wrong thing or believing the wrong thing or interacting with the, the wrong people. Or accepting the wrong people, or loving the wrong people, it's such a weird position to be in. To find yourself getting to know Jesus more and more, and uh, that that's a scary thing for a Christian to, you know. Yeah, I
1: I feel like a lot of us are in this weird situation where I want to be more like Jesus, and in in order to do that, I can't go to church where I used to go to church. Or some people think, you know, anywhere at all they can find. <sighs> if I want to be like Jesus, I need to go to the Black Lives Matter protest or <laughs> insert thing that church doesn't like. Yeah. And that's where I have to go to be like Jesus. That's that's sad. And it breaks my heart. And that's, what, that's one thing I think a lot of people don't understand about people going through this deconstruction is that it's not that we're like, yeah, <laughs> finally got rid of church. <laughs> I can do what I want now. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's about, and that's why people who do go through this are people like you and me who are super involved, super dedicated, because we're, we started realizing that we're the anomaly. <laughs> it seems like, I mean, not the word perfected by any stretch, but. And who want nothing more than to like
2: bring our group with us or yeah. show this amazing, like, guys, look at this thing. This is, yeah. have you seen this? Yeah, Jesus, it's amazing. Did you know that was in the Bible? (laughs) Yeah. Are we allowed to talk about that? Are we allowed to talk about what's in the Bible? (laughs) And and what I see is this, I call it a closed church or a closed gospel. And I think that ultimately we read all the things and try to believe the correct thing, but we really still think that what goes in you is what defiles you. What comes into our body, what we accept in this building, who we accept in this building, That's what makes or breaks, I guess, your salvation. And just imagine a world with open churches who believe that it's what comes out of church into society is that what defiles us. Mm -hmm. So let's be careful about what we're projecting into the world, what we're saying, because that is what uh, makes us unclean as Christians. And those open churches imagine them bringing up people to grapple with and hang out with and love the kids in their elementary school who believe differently than them. And to come home with those questions and understand that there's there's meat out there, even if you're not ready for it. And then elders who are grappling with that meat. Right. And so and who have become more and more like Jesus. And who therefore have, have complete confidence and no fear about someone coming in or someone going out and, and talking to the wrong people or eating the wrong thing or whatever it is.
1: Well, it's, it's good stuff. It's hard, especially when you're, you're no longer in a position that you can influence the people that you feel like you need to influence. But yeah. Uh, I'm trying to do my best where I can, trying to follow God. Yep, I still I'm still a level one uh,
2: out of a hundred or more <laughs> newbie beginning Jesus follower, but with this frustration at these structures that could have could have done such a such a a better job. Yeah, turning zeros into ones into you know let's get to, into the tens and see what happens. But instead, yeah. following that path has meant people are afraid for me, or yeah, or afraid to talk to me. One of the two.
1: What a fun place to be! <laughs> yeah. we kept
2: it light. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I know. I know that I'm going to go to sleep thinking about the training a tomato. <laughs> when you said when you trained a tomato, I immediately had this vision of you in your backyard with a leash around a tomato. And like and that like, big things, and you're like getting it to roll over, and it was like barking and growling at you. <laughs> Sit, tomato. <laughs> like, wasn't there a there's like a really bad uh, horror movie in the eighties called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes?
0: Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I
1: never saw it, but every time I went into Blockbuster with my parents or Showtime Video, whatever it was. Yeah. I always saw Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and it looked really scary and really funny.
0: They'll beat you, bash you, squish you, mash you, chew you up for brunch and finish you off for dinner or lunch. Never let me watch it.
2: There must be something in it they don't want you to know.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to see if I can find that movie. (laughs) Or they just know it was just bad. That's just It's probably just not going to be a good movie. (laughs) It's bad culture, son. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, man. Well... Stick a fork in this for now. We solved the world. We did. I mean, we did it. people just need to
2: not be afraid. Yep, there you go. You're welcome.
1: Hey, <laughs> right, take care. Okay, see ya. I you
0: to hear, but it only takes a whisper.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later.
0: Tomato's hiding in his tree. Now he's just a memory. I know I'm going to miss her. A tomato ate my sister. Sacramento fell today. They're marching into San Jose. Tomatoes are on their way. The mayor is on vacation. The god. By the nation. The police have gone on strike today. The National Guard has run away. Tomatoes will have their day. Attack of the killer tomatoes. Attack of the killer tomatoes. They'll beat you, bash you, squish you, mash you, chew you up for brunch, and finish you off for dinner or lunch.